I think we probably should just go ahead and get started here to try to keep Nicholas on time. Uh, so my name is Chris Weatherby. I'm the Senior Transportation and Shipping Analyst from City. It's my distinct pleasure to be hosting the LNG Shipping Sector Panel discussion for this afternoon. We have the enviable task of uh, batting cleanup following what was a, a pretty solid lunch up there, so hopefully we'll keep everybody well entertained and, and at least partially awake here. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very happy to be joined by three distinguished gentlemen to my left here. So we have Jonathan Cook, who's the CEO of Flex LNG. We have Mark Kremen, who's president and CEO of TK Gas Group. And we have Mr. Christos Economo, who's the founder of TMS Cardiff Gas. And so there's going to be an opportunity to kind of run through lots of different topics, and we certainly would encourage audience participation. I think that would make it much more interesting for everybody up here. But in the interim, I'm going to kick off with some questions, and we can kind of go through. I'll give each one of you guys opportunities to, to sort of answer. But if you do feel passionately about any of the questions I ask your fellow panelists, feel free to jump right in. Um, you know, I, I think always the best way to frame up these conversations is a little bit of a setup on what's going on in the market as it stands today. So, you know, Jonathan, since you're right here, I was wondering if you wanted to kind of give us your view on what you think the current environment is. You know, we've seen a, a probably better than expected market in 2017 transition over to what is still a pretty decent 2018. So if you want to give sort of your view on what the rate environment looks like today and maybe what you're hearing from, you know, participants in the market in terms of the strength and the duration of what we're seeing from rates, uh, that would be a great way to start, I think. Thank you. Sure, thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And when you talk about the the market and, and the current environment, uh, you know, talking about near term. 2017 finished off strong, but um, I think that, you know, a lot of that was was on the back of uh, stronger than expected demand in China. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also, you know, a, a good share of that is uh, the, the typical seasonality that we see every winter with, um, with winter buying. So, the, the second and third quarter of, of 17 was probably, um, you know, one of the one of the worst markets we've seen uh, in the past few years, with with lower rates and even lower utilization. Uh, but then, coming into the into the winter market, there was a lot of uh, a lot of demand uh, for LNG in Asia, mm -hmm. and uh, that pulled pulled a lot of ships out of the out of the spot market, and some of the major charters. Took ships on multi-month uh, type of type of arrangements, so then further reducing the availability in the spot market, and consequently spot rates went up quite significantly, as did uh, the utilization factors. But uh, but now as we're coming out of the winter, um, which may not seem that way with a with a new storm coming yeah. uh, overnight, but uh, the you know the rates are are softening a bit, so we expect that uh, 2018 to still be kind of a transitioning period. Mm -hmm. um, looking at the order book, there are a lot of ships scheduled for delivery in 2018, some of them ahead of their, uh, their projects, so they could be trading in the spot market. Um, but by and large, uh, expect 2018 to be much better than 2017 on a, on a total year average basis, and then expecting a strong winter in the, the 2018-19 winter period. Great, that's uh, that, that makes sense. And Mark, maybe you could chime in a little bit in terms of this sort of lull that I think some of us expect in the market here in the intermediate term. Jonathan mentioned the fact that we have some of these ships 
delivering probably before we're going to see some of the projects that they're specified uh, for ramp up. So how do you think about that? And, you know, is 19 and then 20 kind of off to the races in your opinion? How do you think about sort of that intermediate term, you know, demand and, and supply environment? I think I, first of all, agree with uh, everything Jonathan said. So if we start with China, that's uh, a really good story. Um, last year, this now the second largest importer after Japan. And, um, and rates did, did have a nice spike over the winter. They've come down since, and um, I'm not sure exactly where the, the bottom is. They've softened a little bit. But I think uh, this year we're certainly expecting better than last year. We're forecasting somewhere in the 40s or 50s on a, on a TCE basis, and, and that'll go up every year. So uh, 18, we, we think we'll, sorry, 19 will be better than this year, and 20 uh, better than the year after. Um, I think the, the thing for the interim, what we are seeing is uh, shorter terms. Um, we're not seeing a lot of long-term charters, certainly not the 20 years, but even the sevens and the tens folks, our charters are, seem reluctant to enter into right now. Um, so in that lull period, I think we're going to have a, a, a little softer year this year, but gradually increasing. And uh, hopefully when it, it does increase in, in 19 and certainly 20, we can get back to the longer-term charts that we used to see. When you say long-term, just to follow up, are you thinking 15, 15-ish or so? Probably shorter, as you say. The 20 years seems to there, – there, there should hopefully still be some. Um, we used to do the 25s and the 20s with folks yeah. like Rasgas. That certainly has come down, but um, maybe Anadarko or, or the, the project specific, uh, like the, the Arctic 2 project should be longer. Um, but yes, in general, even the longer terms uh, are coming down to 15 years or so. And as much as anything, it's a reflection of the sale purchase agreements are getting very short as well yeah. on the LNG side. Got it, got it. And Christos, from your perspective, I think your company took it, put in an order, and I think with a seven-year deal attached to it, time charter attached to it. You know, how do you think about sort of the dynamic of the spot market development, and then matching that versus how you want to manage your fleet with with spot versus contracted capacity? I mean, what is the spot market? You know, what, what sort of the development of the spot market do you look for over the course of the next couple of years? Let me just give some history. We started the business in 2011 as a spot player. We mm -hmm. bought the third ship ever sold in LNG uh, on a second-hand basis over the last the 15 years. And then we placed an order for four ships where we've been trading in the spot market since then. Uh, now, fast forward 2017, 18, uh, that's pretty much four years in running. So we see, as John and Mark correctly said, um, a stronger environment, obviously, uh, driven by Chinese demand uh, an Asian demand. Um, our philosophy is, as correctly Mark said, uh, contracts are driven by SBAs. SBAs now are shorter. The last one signed, I think, was uh, 15 years by Traffy. Um, that shipping will match that uh, or be shorter than that on the term business. So we signed up for a minimum of three new buildings with uh, seven to 10 year options um, for um, uh, three two of our customers actually at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, and we look to grow that organically uh, along with the spot side of our, of our business. So I don't have a ratio right now. I think it's driven by customers mostly. Uh, and then the expectation on the spot market. I'm a little bit more aggressive than, than John um, on uh, expectations there. Uh, however, I think you know, we all agree that you know, we're looking for uh, an exciting market over the next, uh, let's say, uh, three years. Sure. So, so I think 
I think all three of you actually mentioned China in your opening remarks here, so I think that's probably a natural place to go next and certainly was a driver of significant you know, rate improvement as we went through the second half of 2017. So they did a lot on the spot market. How do you think about sort of activity on the contract side as you move forward? Is it going to be more just sort of you know, satisfying from the, from the spot side or will there be a higher degree of contracting for Chinese cargoes, Chinese destined cargoes? Happy to take on China again because there's two big parts to the China story, and, and maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But one side is the demand on the on the LNG, but the way that we've really seen uh, a difference from China is in the financing. So um, right now we have uh, still have the, the world's largest LNG order book, and without China, that that we would have been terribly difficult to finance. Um, so the, the order book, we started ordering around two thirds in 2013 to 15, and got up to about 21 ships on LNG, but um, China's been a massive story on the, on, the, uh, on the finance side. On the, and I don't want to take too much time, but on the, on the building side too, uh, Hudong is, is a good yard. And I think that um, when you look at least at Chinese requirements, you, you should see uh, those bottoms come out of a Chinese yard like that one. And Jonathan and Christos, feel free to, to comment about your thoughts on, on China in 2018 as well. But I guess one of the things I wanted to follow up with is gas in the mix of energy in China and sort of how you guys think about that over the long run. I think in 2017, rough numbers, kind of 20 plus percent. Uh, where do you think that can go? You have sense from, you know, where they want to take that number? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the increase in demand for LNG in China has kind of exceeded everybody's expectations last year. And um, that the, the, the depth in that market is, is so deep that, that that should be able to continue um, with their, their fuel switching program and, and just general uh, kind of organic, uh, you know, energy growth. So, so from that perspective, um, I think that that's, that's here to stay. We're seeing more interest in the, the Chinese buyers looking at, uh, at longer-term contracts for LNG out of the United States. You know, up until now, all of the, the production that's under construction in the U.S. has, uh, has not had any, any Chinese buyers until very recently. So I think that that's a, that's a dynamic that we'll see for the next wave of LNG production. Okay. That's helpful. Um, you know, maybe mixing this in a little bit with the production side. So I think there's some estimates out there for about 25 million tons of annual capacity of liquefaction coming online in 2018. You know, one of the things I struggle with as an analyst here is trying to understand the relationship between the amount of LNG in the world and the demand on ships. And clearly, ton mile you know, demand is part of that. China is part of that. So when you guys think about your internal models, how do you sort of translate that demand number to, to required ships? And, and, and I'm taking aside sort of some of the, the contracts, the offtake contracts and those kinds of things, just broadly speaking, when you're trying to do that supply-demand math, how do you guys think about that? Well, I think that, um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen the math that, uh, that the various analysts have, have done, but then also now that uh, through the course of 2017, uh, the, the Sabine Pass production has, has really started to get its legs under itself and, and uh, you know, has been continuing on a, 
on a reliable basis, and we've seen what the trading patterns are from the ships uh, that, or the cargoes that have been shipped out of the U.S. Gulf. Uh, so uh, a year ago, I think we would have been talking about for every million ton of LNG production out of the United States requiring about one and a half ships. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in fact, now we're saying more like 1.7, 1.75. Um, a couple, couple different reasons for that. Um, you've got the, obviously the, the, the demand uh, in Asia continuing to stay strong so that, uh, that, that maintains that, that long uh, trading distance and, and ton miles. Uh, another uh, factor that we've seen is that the Panama Canal is not uh, something that that every shipper can rely on uh, from a from a scheduling or reservation perspective, uh, and so there have been uh, many occasions where ships have had to go the long way, mm -hmm. whether it's loaded or in ballast. But uh, in either event, obviously adding adding time to the uh, to the voyages and. Uh, so I think I think with with those factors, the 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 ton mile demand as we look going forward, like Christo said, the next uh, two to three years is going to be very exciting. A lot of the new production that's coming online is more heavily weighted out of the United States, uh, so that obviously is is good for shipping. Yeah, I agree with with John. I mean, when when John was working at, at our organization, I remember we fixed the first Sinoc cargo. So they had basically a very little experience, and we helped them, you know, do those first cargos. They, you know, then took an FSU, and now they're uh, growing that business. So, uh, you know, going back to your previous question, uh, I think, uh, you know, Chinese demand is in its infancy. Mm -hmm. However, given that, um, in my view, and from the European industrial players that we're discussing, uh, new uh, power plants, um, you know, are likely to be gas-driven. You know that takes a little bit of a while, uh, a time to 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 be able to get into the energy mix of uh, of, of electricity production, industrial production, and domestic production. So you know it will take a little bit of time, but you know I think you know that 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 growth is is going to continue there. And on the shipping side, as John said, um, you know we see a lot of it through the U.S. Sabine Pass was a game changer. Yeah. I mean, going down there is really exciting, obviously, but in itself. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, they had one or, or, or two pro uh, problems with one of their tanks gives, as a shipper, um, you know, as, as a customer, they have a lot more mismatches to, 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 to take care of. Yeah. So, so I think what everybody forgets, it's, it's not just the model, right? It's ships that carry gas around the world, go, goes to China. So that in itself needs to have some elasticity. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, people get uh, caught out and nobody wants to get caught out. So, so I don't think there's a golden number. But the more volume that comes online, the more spot there is, and the better it is for everybody involved in the supply chain. That's a great point that these routes actually exist in the real world and not just on the spreadsheets of guy, that guys like me uh, maintain. So I appreciate that. Um, given your spot sort of exposure, I guess, you touched a little bit on it, but I was hoping you could maybe elaborate a bit more on sort of some of the, I, I don't want to call them inefficiencies, but sort of the, you know, th there are some, dynamics where you have cargoes that are spoken for by multiple individuals that may deviate from original routes and those kinds of things. And maybe, I don't, again, I don't want to say inefficiencies, but certainly add to the time at sea. So how do you see that kind of playing out? And, and maybe, you know, thinking about that in the construct of how big do you think the spot market becomes over time? Well, 
I don't know, Mark, you want to take it? No, feel free. <laughs> so, 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 so at some point uh, when we were initially in the space in 2011, spot market for cargoes was 5%. Yep. Today, uh, depends on who you ask because nobody really wants to tell you, I believe it's between 20 and 35%. And you know, please jump in if, if you think those numbers are off. Um, so that means that you had a 5% growth. So that's 100% pretty much almost every year mm -hmm. since, since, since over the last seven years. So I would say the um, model is evolving to being more spot, uh, and the ships will follow the cargoes as well. So uh, at the same time, on the shipping side, the spot market, you know, when we were trading, there was, you know, like 10 ships, right? Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. there's like 100 plus. So, so that grew, you know, I would say two to one, uh, realistically. So, you know, now it's a trade. Um, so I don't think there's a number per se. However, it's 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 definitely growing exponentially versus cargo. That's yep. what I would say. Got it. Or in in multiples of. Sure. Maybe and Mark, I don't know if you had some comments on that. I guess two things. Uh, that one that, that Chris was touched on is the trade, whether it's it's the Traffies, uh, Trafficker or VTOL or Glencore, whoever it is, is, is picking up enormously. They've become a, a fixture in the market, and I don't think they were five years ago. They were a major player. And so that's on the trading side. The other thing that just boggles my mind, one of my, there's so many inefficiencies, and, and one of our, our favorites is we're building a, a regasification terminal in Bahrain, which is 40 nautical miles away from Raslafan. And um, they will not take, you know, Qatari gas. And so you see, you see all these inefficiencies there and around the world, which will hopefully lead to uh, inefficient uh, shipping. So. Which is good for all of you guys, that's for sure. Do, do you think that as the, the market sort of evolves and matures, because I think it's probably fair to say with all this liquefaction production sort of in the in, ahead of us and this ramp up, you know, are we still relatively early on in this process where we need to see maybe more of a spot market develop to try to arb out some of these inefficiencies? Or do you think they are fairly sustainable just given the structural dynamic of projects coming online with specific offtake agreements that you'll see a longer run sort of of this ability to kind of arb out, you know, take advantage of these, of these, these inefficiencies? I don't know, John, if you have a comment on that. Yeah, I, I think that um, the way the, the LNG supply uh, contracting has evolved is really important um, because you've, you've got um, not only uh, shorter duration contracts but also uh, the, the whole idea of destination restrictions is, is kind of gone away and, and with the, the destination flexibility um, you would think that that, that would allow for, um, for some of these inefficiencies to be to be taken out of the market and, uh, and and things to become more efficient, but one of the things that we're seeing is that um, because of this this destination flexibility, a lot of the the LNG interests uh, are are uncertain about where they're actually going to be selling the cargos, and when they're uncertain about where they're selling, they're they're uncertain about what their uh, shipping requirement is going to to be. So, uh, you know, you dial the clock back, say, 10 years, and uh, it would be point A to point B, re require so many ships, do a 20-year charter, get the ship, ship owner to, to sign, the, sign the shipbuilding contract at the same time they do the charter party. All that's gone. And uh, so now um, that, that goes to, to the, the whole concept of, of the spot market or short-term uh, charter market becoming... Uh, a much more prominent feature in the market. 
So are any of you on the panel sort of thinking about meaningful changes in the chartering strategies of your fleet? You know, Mark, obviously you guys have had a historical long-term focus. Is there any sort of reason to think that that's a, the, the, not the right way to approach the next five years and, you know, sort of new opportunities? I mean, you mentioned before 15-year duration, so I would definitely characterize that on the long end of the curve. Sure. How do you think about that going forward? You're right. We have an average remaining duration of about 12 years in our fleet of the 50 LNG carriers we have, but I don't think that's the future. Um, there's been a lot of things. Um, I think the risk reward has, has shifted a bit. The, the, the ships have changed so fast, whether it's the propulsion from steam to ultra steam and DFDEs and two stroke and slow speed diesels, whatever it is, the, the, the cargo containment systems, everything about the ship is changing so fast that the residual is a bit of an issue. And I think right now, today, the returns you can get on a medium term charter aren't really there. And so we might be just as happy uh, with a big fleet. We have a, a larger fleet now, so on a portfolio basis, it's okay to have a little bit more of the short term until I think the, uh, until the, the, the returns improve on, on some of the longer ones. Every, every I, I think every owner will always prefer and always will seek out a long-term charter. That's what we're going to do. But if you can't find a good one, um, and I'm not sure there are a lot out there right now, we'll sit back and wait till there are. Yeah, got it. Christos, from your perspective, you've been more on that spot side. You mentioned secondhand opportunities. You know, how do you think about sort of the next five years building out your business? Like you said, the last one was done with a, with a seven-year deal on it, but you've already had some spot exposure. Where do you want to take that going forward? I think, you know, between the companies sitting here, I think Mark is, is, is on one side of the spectrum yeah. and John is on the other side of the spectrum. I think we've played the spot game. We know what that is. Uh, it's going to be part of, it's part of our DNA. Uh, however, we're going to probably be uh, a mixed bag between uh, those two, I would say. So, of course, we're comfortable with the exposure uh, and we get excited. Uh, however, we see ourselves as more of an industrial player. Uh, and that's the approach that, you know, current shareholders, whether it's a family or other financial institutions that may be part of our, uh, you know, current JV structure, um, I think, want. Uh, and I think you know, that's, that's where we see. So as Mark said, yes, uh, in today's market, um, uh, things are not uh, greatly appealing on the terms of business. However, you know, there's always uh, opportunity um, and we believe um, in, in, in the spot market as well. So you know, if I answer your question, uh, I would say we're, we're mostly gonna be spot focused with some term business to kind of level that off. Got it, John sort of, same thoughts from you, or how do you think you know, about this? Yeah, I think that um, you know we're we're uh, kind of aligned with with what Christos is saying in that um, you know right now we're we're effectively long six ships when it comes to yep. to um, long term charters, but uh, and and to to kind of mention what what Mark was saying is looking at how how the returns uh, need to be and and looking forward over the. The market, you know, as we expect to see it uh, evolve in the next 18 to 24 months, uh, we expect to see the opportunities for multi-year, longer-term charters improve significantly, and that's where where we th we see the opportunity to to then start diversifying our our uh, contract portfolio, if you will, uh, and and add in some multi-year charters. I know that uh, you know Christos has good experience 
with, with being able to fix multi-year at, at rates representative of a, of a, a high spot market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen that uh, in, in several instances back when the, the market was, um, you know, kind of in a, in a tighter uh, scenario back in 2011, 2012. Um, there were, you know, probably a little over half a dozen ships that were chartered out on three to five years at rates kind of re- representative of the then spot market. So, so we expect to see those opportunities come back as well. And then one question I wanted to ask everybody to get their opinion on, and I do want to transition a little bit to FSRUs in a second, but when you think about the carrier side, just over the course of, I think we can all agree that there is a deficit of ships as we move out into the next few years because of the production uh, that we can see coming online, but what do you think those numbers roughly are, and when do you start to expect to see an acceleration of that forward ordering? There was, you know, one of your um, competitors was out this morning with an announcement about a new new vessel order. Uh, kind of curious how you think about that development. What, what is sort of that number of, of, of ships that were short? TK's in the, um, uh, by 2020, we're in the teens, including the orders that we're seeing from, from our, our, uh, the peers. So we'll agree that uh, there's a deficit uh, within, within 2020. Within 2020, that's the yeah. year to think about. And we're conservative compared to the Wood Mackenzies and the Potents and the, obviously the GTTs of the world who are, are well into the 20s uh, or more. Got it. Yeah, and keeping in mind that if you order a, uh, a ship today, uh, you're likely not going to get delivery until the middle part or second half of 2020. So, um, you know, we, we expect to see that, that tightening uh, become more evident as, as the charterers are are in the market ready to transact, which is typically six to 12 months before they actually need the vessel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll have to be tapping into uh, vessels that are uh, either on the water or available out of the existing order book. Got it. Um, in terms of FSRUs, uh, you know, I, I guess, how big an opportunity is that? I mean, we, we hear about it from a number of players in the space as something that they're interested in. A, a sort of finite amount of folks are, are actively participating in that market. But, you know, I guess, you know, when you size up the opportunity, how attractive is it still to sort of start your engines now, I guess, is the way I'm thinking about it, to kind of get the ball rolling on FSRU investments today? I don't know. John, you want to start with... You're close to the, you're close to this, relatively speaking. Yeah, unless either of the other guys want to take up. But uh, no, I would say that you know if you if you think about LNG as being the long negotiating group, and uh, everything seems to take a long time to uh, to develop and, and uh, get done, FSRUs are probably the, you know the next step um, in 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 that uh, in that theme. But um, so I guess from from a, a long-term perspective, I'm pretty bullish on the FSRU sector because, um, you know, as, as we go around and talk to various customers and things like that, uh, just about everybody that we meet with has got a business development team looking to create new market access, yep. new, create, you know, in, in, increase the demand uh, profile. Um, and, and as we've seen over the past five years or so, uh, that most of the new market access has been created via or through FSRUs, so so from a, a long-term perspective, uh, we're we're pretty bullish on the the FSRU side of things. Um, it's something that 
to, to be successful, you've got to, to start that business development effort uh, and, and be present in the, in, the, in the space. It's completely different from shipping, and FSRU is not a, not a shipping deal. It is, a, it is an infrastructure uh, deal. The, the, the contracts are completely different. Um, you know, you've got, you've got uh, country risk, you've got uh, counterparty risks that, that are typically different. So, so there's a lot of things that need to be taken into, into account. Um, on, the, on the near term, there are uh, some challenges, I think, that uh, there's, there's a lot of available uh, FSRUs that, mm -hmm. that were either uh, ordered speculatively or, or have been delivered um, either early for their project or the, the project they're ordered for hasn't, hasn't quite come to be. Um, so, so from that perspective, I think um, there's the, the next couple of years is going to be a bit of a challenge. Christos, is that something that you guys would consider participating in? That's for the rest of the panel here. <laughs> I believe in terms of numbers that, I mean, I agree with John, it's an industrial play. However, it's a pretty simple ship with the regas kit. So pretty much, you know, anybody can operate. Okay, there's some barriers to entry. But for me, the real issue is that there's 30 ships in the water and that's yeah. a small market. And if you take one of these and you try to fix her around, she's not that easy to move. So I would uh, not think about that, uh, that infrastructure play, even though I see shipping as a midstream business. And I think that's what Mark and the TK team has created. So we're going to focus on what we know. If we get a customer that wants to fix something, great. Uh, but I think it's, it's more for other people to, 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 to enjoy where they have some value add where we don't. Got it. And Mark, I mean, you know, it fits sort of the term structure that we've all sort of come accustomed to with, with TKLNG. So, you know, how, sort of. I, I tend to agree with my, my colleagues here. We, we calculate there's about nine or more uncommitted ships right now yep. chasing projects to, to Jonathan's point. When exactly are they going to happen is unsure. And they typically end up with developing credits. So I'm not sure it's the type of credit that we've typically yeah. wanted in our, in our, in our system. I, I'll, at the same time, I'll agree. It depends agree. on the rate. <laughs> it depends on the rate. <laughs> risk adjusted in terms of the risk. Right? Uh, yeah. But obviously, in long term, it's, it's a big feature of the market. Got it. I want to see if there's any questions from the audience. We have time for maybe one or two. Um, would love to get people involved to the extent that there's interest. I think from my perspective, um, you know, I guess I did have one more sort of follow-up or on, on the FSRU side um, that I guess I was just kind of curious about, you know, and this does kind of marry into the carrier market, is really how much adoption or, or sort of penetration, maybe John, do you think you can get from FSRUs into, um, you know, into the market. I mean, how, how many more markets can be opened up? I think there is this potential opportunity from a carrier perspective. If you could have multiple destination points, more destination points open, and you could do more of a complex sort of shipping operation. I guess I just wanted to get your sort of sense there. How far along are we in the process? Seems like maybe we've gotten a bit out over our skis, but over the long run, is there a lot more for this to go in terms of FSRU penetration? Um. I guess that's a little bit hard to answer, but I would say that there are areas uh, of the world that don't have um, FSRUs that, that kind of are a natural fit for it. Thinking about Southeast Asia, for instance, um, and uh, you know, you've got the, the two in, in Indonesia, but I'm thinking more Philippines, Vietnam. 
there's, there's still quite a lot of discussions about potential projects in, in South and Central America. Um, and then, of course, um, the, the whole uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, yeah. uh, kind of near Asia uh, part of the world. So, then, that, and that's before you even th start thinking about uh, more developed countries with, with the drive for a more um, either, either security of supply mm -hmm. uh, perspective or, or even uh, on a seasonality perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kuwait was was created uh, to provide gas in, a, in the, 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 the summer season when they have the, the high load from from AC and all that kind of thing. Um, so so that was a, a project where it was you know kind of October to March or October to April time frame, and and then the the FSOE being available for other things in the off season. Same same for for the first project in Argentina, but once. The project in Argentina got going. They they never let it leave. So yeah. Uh, so, so Chris, this last question for you: incremental capital. Where are you putting it today? What's uh, the most interesting thing for you and uh, and your shareholders? I would say, by definition, we have options to grow the fleet. Mm -hmm. uh, we have options in 2020. I think this is a game to be played by the industrial players existing. Uh, anybody who tells you differently, I think, is just a speculator. Uh, probably, you know, at the point of being a gambler. Uh, we believe more in uh, um, risk-adjusted return, as uh, Mark correctly said, maybe um, their uh, adjusted return is a little bit uh, <laughs> more longer term than ours. Yeah, fair but, enough. Uh, what I would say is we paid the entry ticket, uh, and I think we would grow organically through new buildings if we saw opportunities to get involved with other existing players mm -hmm. where we could see eye to eye. Uh, sure. However, you know, in our industry, it's generally one captain, one ship, uh, unless there's you know some sort of uh, uh, an opportunity to see otherwise. So, so I would say in LNG, we're in the carrier business. So naturally, it would be through existing relationships that we have. Um, yeah. New buildings, most for new, likely for new buildings, and at the, at prices pre today's um, sign up. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.